0: rest of us, we have a uh, a privilege here this morning to to hear the word preached from one of our, our dear friends here, uh, John Crosby, who's the campus minister uh, with Reformed University Fellowship on the campus of the University of Memphis. He is uh, licensed and ordained and sent out by our uh, church, our bigger church, the 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 Presbytery, to to be a missionary on that campus to show the love and the kindness and the truth of Jesus uh, to students who are in a particularly uh, vulnerable moment in their lives of, of understanding and applying what God's word really says. So we uh, love John and his family, Trina and his kids, and I'm going to keep faking him out. He keeps, like, trying to get up, and then I keep talking. So we'll bring up John. You can uh, give him a, a clap to welcome here this morning. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank Thanks, man. Hey, good morning. Can steal my water? Uh, It is. It's really always a privilege to be here. I don't know if it's a privilege. Like, I actually woke up this morning um, and and realized, man, I have to iron my shirt. But then I realized I'm preaching to Redeemer and I can wear a robe. And so, um, I didn't iron my shirt. I just wanted to confess that. Uh, But. I do want to just, again, just thank you for supporting us at uh, the University of Memphis. We just, I'm just coming back last night from a retreat we had with students, uh, we, and, and it was incredible, and we, we have a lot of students that are connected now, and we can build on this retreat for the semester, and just a lot of cool things are happening. I'd love to take you to coffee or lunch, or you can take me to go play golf or hunt or something really cool, and I can tell you about RUF. So, yeah, take me up on that. I'm not kidding. Um, we're going to be in, uh, in Mark chapter 7 and looking at this story of the Syrophoenician woman, verses 24 through 30. I believe it's printed in your bulletin, and I'll read this. This is God's Word. And from there he rose and went away to a region of Tyre of Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know yet Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found her child laying in the bed and the demon gone. Let's pray together. Father, you are so good and gracious and generous to us. And Father, this story reminds us of of that, how you delight in showing your mercy to big sinners, Father. I pray that we would be encouraged by this word. That we would we would believe it that you really are this way. We really believe that you came after ruined sinners and loved us and showed your mercy. We thank you for the stories. Your name. We pray. Amen. Uh, my son Charlie uh, and I, and really, uh, I guess I have three boys um and uh my oldest son and i really love true stories um my my middle my youngest son like thinks that like the avengers movie is real um so this doesn't really apply to him but really all of my my two oldest sons like we love like those true stories we love those movies about like like, the real things, like the story Miracle, about the hockey t- USA t- hockey team. Like, you love that. Or the blind side. Um, we recently watched the movie Radio together. If you had not seen it, it's a great little movie. Um, but those, those movies that are true, and they draw you into the story, and they grip you. Uh, I, I love those stories that you can relate to, and you can see yourself in the story. We even like those, uh, this time of year, you can watch those ESPN, like, Uh, stories about, like, the Iowa team that, you know, when they hold their phones up at the children's hospital. It just, I love that stuff. Um, And I say all that because, you know, like, what we have in the Bible is this great true story. Like, this is a true story. Uh, And it's a story that actually is about a real hero who enters the world uh, to rescue his people. And it's a true story. It's this true story that grips you and draws you into it. And you see yourself, like, you, hopefully you can see yourself in the story and where you fit into the story. And we begin to see our own story um, when we read stories like this. Um, and we see who we are and we see who Jesus is. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at a couple of things. We're just going to consider, if you're kind of a note taker, um, we're gonna consider the context of the story. Because it's important, like this is like a weird story. Like what what's going on here? So context, and then we're gonna consider what it means to actually be far more sinful than you ever dared imagined. Like what is it, what does that mean to be far more sinful than you er, ever dared imagined? But then and then thirdly, what does it mean to be more loved than you ever dared hoped or dreamed? And then we'll a couple applications and we'll get out of here. So let's consider first the context of this story. Uh, Chapter 7 opens up with the Pharisees rebuking Jesus' disciples for eating with unwashed hands. Um, This is a constant battle in my own home with three boys um, who go out, you know, catching frogs and coming back inside and putting their hand in the cereal box before washing. Um, But now Jesus is going to deal with the real issue here and the difference between being clean and being unclean. Uh, In chapter 7, verse 2, it says, They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless their hands were washed, holding to the traditions of the elders. And Jesus said, There's nothing outside a person that's going to defile him that can... from the outside, that can defile him, but the things that come out of the person are what defile him. Like, that's a great excuse, kids, like, for not washing your hands. Like, right? Like, parents, hey, like, mom, it's not the outside stuff. Whatever, sorry. Um, I digress. But the Pharisees washed their hands. They washed their hands, and they were devoutly religious. They were so concerned with the outward Uh, appearance and doing the religious things. And Jesus is saying, it's not the outward that makes you unclean, but it's what comes out of you that makes you unclean. It's our hearts that make us unclean. And Jesus says in verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And so Jesus is basically, like, he is leveling the playing field. He's leveling the playing field and saying, look, everyone is unclean in their hearts. Like, we all have this problem. That the problem is not on the outside, but the problem is our heart. We have a heart problem. Like, mere religion, just religion apart from Christianity, is just really concerned with the outward appearance What's going on the outside of you? Religion is this. Like I've lived a certain way. I've lived a certain way and God will accept me. If I, if I do all these things, uh, God will accept me. Christianity is totally different than mere religion. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And so God accepts you. It's totally different. The life you live now in obedience to him is a response to the God who actually saved you. It's totally different. And Jesus Christ is dead set on showing you and I the difference. And we're told in verse 17 that when the disciples had gotten Jesus alone, they said, like they, they, they showed their confusion about all this like unclean stuff. They're like, all this unclean and clean stuff, Jesus, like what are you what are you talking about? They were clueless to what Jesus was really getting at. And now in this true story, Jesus Christ, he goes from like the classroom to, to actually practicing what he's been talking about. He goes from like talking about it like theoretically and, abstract and abstractly um, to actually doing it. I remember my sophomore year biology class, Uh, when I walked into the biology room, and and it smelled different. And and I looked at the tables, and there was the sheep's eyeball, like in front of you on the table. Um, for, for, For a week or so before, we had been, like, studying the sheep's eyeball, trying to memorize the parts and all that stuff. And then one day we came in, and there it was, sheep's eyeball. Like, you could touch it, you could... You could dare your lab partner to take a bite out of it. Like, you could, like, identify the parts. It was right there. The teacher was letting us, like, experience, like, the sheep's eyeball by showing us how it works. And that's what Jesus Christ is doing here in this story. Like, Jesus is showing us, as he goes to Phoenicia, what it actually means to put the gospel into practice. And it's actually kind of shocking. Uh, Jesus says... And what he does here is actually a little outrageous, and he's trying to get us to see what he is really about. Christianity again is this that, and this comes from like Tim Keller, um, and uh, I think even uh, um, the guy who sonship guy um, forgot his name, but uh, I'm just totally blanking on that name. But when they say you are far more sinful. Christianity is this, that you are far more sinful than you ever dared imagined, um, but you are far more loved than you ever dared hope for at the same time. Which brings me to the second point. Like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be far more sinful than you ever imagined? Well, let's look at this woman, this woman's story for a minute. In verse 24 and 25, like, Jesus Christ is going to this Phoenicia place. Um, and it's the first and only time Jesus Christ actually leaves Israel during his public ministry and he leaves his country and he goes to this foreign land and and it's right there on the coast of the mediterranean to this little city called tyre Um, and he's traveling to this place maybe because he doesn't want to be uh, noticed it actually kind of says that and he wants to get away and he wants to rest uh, and, and maybe he doesn't want to be noticed because he knows what's lying ahead of him he knows the cross is coming and so he goes to phoenicia not wanting to be noticed by anyone but we're told in Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 8, like his reputation actually grew, and actually to this specific place, it grew to Tyre, um, we're told in Mark 3, 8, um, that it reached there even specifically. And this woman approaches him, in verse 26, most likely because she's heard about Jesus and what he's been doing. And let me tell you a little bit about this woman, so you can get the idea of like what it means to be far more sinful than you ever imagined. Like, this woman was a Greek uh, born in Syro-Phoenicia. Uh, She was a Gentile. Um, She was a Gentile of Gentiles. Like, you couldn't get any more Gentile than this woman. She was totally not a Jew. Uh, She was a Greek, uh, which means Gentile. And Samaritans were at least like these half-breed kind of folks. Uh, But this woman was a no-breed. Uh, She was what the New Testament writers would would call a pagan, a heathen. Uh, She worshipped the gods of the nations and was from a place that was far removed from God's people. Paul describes these folks like this in Ephesians 2.12. They were separated, far off from Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, and strangers in the covenants of promise and having no hope without God in the world. Like, that was this lady's Facebook profile. Like, that was it. This woman, um, this is what it means to be a Gentile, to be alienated, to be hopeless, to be without God. And Jesus calls her a dog. He calls her a dog here. Like, some of you may be reading the Greek text, because I know that's what y'all do here at Redeemer, with your original languages out there. The elders probably most likely and and they've noticed they're like yeah but he's not calling them a big dog like he's calling her a little dog and so commentators really kind of fidget with this they're like oh it's not that bad like he called her a little dog not a big dog but look ladies if does it really matter like if if i called you a dog or a puppy like it really doesn't matter um and I don't know if that's totally lost on, like, midtown people who love dogs. Like, maybe you're like, I love dogs. I don't know. Sorry. Um, I always feel out like of my element when I cross over here. So, but he's calling her a dog because that's what Jews actually called Gentiles. They called them dogs. Uh, and that is what she is. She's this unclean dog. And that is the statement that Jesus is actually making here. Like, Jesus is making this provocative statement that is actually true. Like, to a Jewish rabbi, a Gentile woman from Syrophoenicia was a dog. That's who she was. Not only was she a Gentile of Gentiles, not only was she this godless pagan um, from a far-off land and this unclean dog, she was a she. Like, she was a she in that culture. As a woman, she had no standing in that culture back then. Um and there was there's a difference between things like being dirty and unclean, and things being like unclean, unclean. Um, let me explain that a little bit. Like, what I'm talking about is like this. This woman was was an unclean woman who had an unclean daughter who who had an unclean spirit. Like she covered all the bases of like uncleanliness here. Um, and if you go back to the beginning of the chapter. Uh, where it talks about, like, being unclean. Like, this woman, like, was spiritually, culturally, and ceremonially, like, she fit the bill of, like, as filthy as you could possibly be. That's who she was. Um, with three boys, we kind of live by, like, the three-second three drill in our house. Um, you know, you drop something on the, on the floor, you pick it up. It's, it's not that dirty, right? Um, actually, our third child, we just serve him on the floor now. Like, it's like mac and cheese on the tile, just, but our first child, like we, well, probably our second child, we were more three-second drill people, um, but you know, like, when you drop, like, a sucker or a Skittle or a cheeseburger, in my case, on the ground, it's not that dirty, it's kind of dirty, and so you got three seconds, and you can eat it. It's not really scientifically proven that it's any dirtier or whatever, but we trust in it, and we believe in it. Um, And it's just kind of dirty. But then there's like last day of Memphis in May dirty on the ground, right? You've been been there, right? The, The last day, like you don't sit on the ground down there. I have seen things, I have seen things and I have bad dreams about the things I've seen on the ground there. And you don't drop a cheeseburger on the ground the last day of Memphis in May and take a bite out of it. It just, it never applies. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't, I'm just getting freaked out about it right now. Um, it doesn't, like, this woman is not, like, three-second drill dirty. Like, she's not just a kind of dirty. She is last day of Memphis in May ground dirty. Like, you know, the ground kind of moves, like, dirty, like, Gross. She's, and it's absolutely outrageous for her to bust in on Jesus' vacation and beg of him. Who does she think she is? Like Jesus Christ in this verse, in verse 27, says, like, let the children eat all they want for it is not right for the, children, for the children's bread to be tossed to their dogs. And you know what Jesus is doing in this passage when he says that? Like he's testing her. Like, he's testing her. Like, he wants to know, like, first, do you really know who you are? And secondly, do you know who I am? Do you know that you are last day of Memphis and May ground dirty? And do you know who I am? Because do you really know who I am? He's, like, Jesus is saying, like, I'm a Jewish rabbi. Like, who do you think I am? I'm a rabbi who is coming to my people first. I've come to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the other ends of the earth. And this woman is really out of her turn. She's really out of her turn. She's not waiting her turn. She's not like playing by the rules. And Jesus is making this provocative, truthful statement uh, to find out if she really knows who she is and if she really knows who he is. And then in verse 28, she says, you're right, Jesus. You're actually, you're actually right, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She's saying, like, I'm filthy. I am last day Memphis and May ground dirty. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And do you know what's going on here? Like, she is saying, you're right, Jesus. You are, you're totally right. I'm far more sinful than I ever dared imagined and I realize I'm totally disqualified, um, and I have no claim on you, and I deserve nothing, and it's actually kind of outrageous that I'm kind of bothering you right now, but bless me anyway, is what she's saying. Just go ahead and bless me anyway. You have more than enough grace, and all I need is a crumb from your table, and you don't even have to interrupt your rest. And she's saying, you know what, Jesus? I know who you are. I know who you are. And you love dogs. You love dogs. You actually aren't like the other rabbis, Jesus. There's food on that table, and actually, you want to give it to me, is what she's saying. And she's really got Jesus kind of nailed here. Like, totally pegged him. Like, she's filthy. She's a Gentile, dirty dog without any standing. But you know what? The good news is Jesus loves folks like this. He loves folks like this. He has no three-second drill rule. And if you want to know anything about Jesus Christ, like, it is that Jesus Christ came into the world to actually become dirty for you? What does that mean? Um, what in the world does that mean for for our life? Um, where we're, You know, we, we always go back and forth between two extremes in our lives, um, on one hand we feel like we're too good uh, to to really need this kind of salvation. Uh, that and it kind of maybe offends you that I would associate you, um, or you would be associated with this filthy woman. That you think you just need a boost. You think, man, I I'm kind of a good Christian person. I'm cool. I go to Redeemer. You know, I have an iPhone watch and whatever I do too that's why. I wore this for y'all. Um, I don't, whatever sorry. Um, like you think I have it all together and, and I kind of have my life together so you think and it kind of offends you that you would be associated with like lowly sinners like this woman. and it's your pride actually that keeps you from Jesus. And some of you on the other hand, it's your despair that keeps you from Jesus. Uh, you think to yourself that you're too far gone you think man my 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 marriage is a wreck like like i'm what i've done at work or the thing is, is i've i've done it in my community or done it to my friends like and you're sitting here thinking like oh, you just, you don't know what i did last night and jesus in this passage is saying look you're actually both wrong you're actually both wrong jesus is saying if you want if, that he that he wants you just like you are. Like he wants you just as you are. Warts and all with all your filth. You are actually far more sinful than you ever dared imagined. But you are more loved than you ever dared dreamed or, or hoped for at the same time. Which brings me to that third point. What does that mean? What does that mean to be, be more loved than you ever dared dreamed? When Jesus heals this woman's child, he actually blows to pieces, all our categories about what Christianity is about. Like, she is out of line. She doesn't wait her turn. Um, you know, I'm not a perfect father. Um, and, and I have used my boys to break into some lines um, a few times. Um, and I really don't have much shame about this particular incident. Uh, but years ago, when I took a group of students to the Atlanta Braves game, Maybe I should have shame. I have shame for it. I took my kids to this Atlanta Braves, uh, some students. I was a youth pastor, took some students, and I took my younger son at the time, well, my oldest son, who was nine at the time, Charlie, to this game. And we we got to the Braves game, and we noticed, like, this huge line in the corridor. And I was like, what is going on? That's, a lot of people have to use the bathroom. And uh, I got to the front of the line, and we kind of noticed, like, these tables set up, and all these, I, I noticed Dale Murphy was sitting at the table, He's a Hall of Famer, baseball player, then Phil Nickro. It was this long table full of all these Atlanta Braves legends. Come to find out they were, they, were, uh, they were retiring Bobby Cox's jersey. And so all these people were there. And I thought, I've got to get in this line. And so I ran and I got this little baseball bat and, a, and I bought a Sharpie. And I got back. And by the time I got back, everybody in the line had a ticket. Everybody had a ticket because the line was so long and I was like, there's no way I can get in. But then I looked at my cute son, and I was like, you're cuter than me and shorter. And and this is why I should never have kids. I I said, here, hey, Charlie, like, here's the bat. Here's a Sharpie. Just go under the rope. And, like, he looked at me, and he was like, okay. And he went just, we didn't, like, cut in line in the very back of the line. I'm, we were not even, like, five feet from the table and he just went and got in the line just stood there and this lady like eyeballed him and then turned to me and she was like you are a bad father I can't believe you're doing this you don't have a ticket he's under we've been standing here all day and I'm just like yeah I know whatever uh didn't want to make eye contact with her and trying to like you know talk to our other students and be a really good youth pastor example um and, uh, yeah, great. And, uh, and so Charlie got up to the front of the line. And I know that lady was thinking he's, he, he doesn't have a ticket. He's, gonna get, he's totally busted. And he got up to the front of the line, and the guy just waved him through. Like, he waved him through. Like, he didn't, he didn't wait his turn. Like, he, was, he, he got under the rope. He didn't have a ticket, and he had a bad father as well. Like hear what this passage is saying to us and why like, why, why, Jesus blows the categories to pieces about Christianity. Look, imagine yourself waiting in that hot, long line. Like you're waiting there and you see this woman like go underneath the rope. Like she goes underneath the rope. She doesn't have a ticket. And like you can't wait for her to get like up there because she's gonna get busted. And as soon as she gets up there, what happens? Jesus just waves her through. He waves her through, waves her through the line, right in front of everyone. Like Jesus Christ really is, he really is that merciful. Like he's that merciful. Like when I say that you are far more sinful than you ever dared imagine, let me put it this way. Like we're messy, like we're messy. And this woman is a total train wreck and the most important step actually at the true discipleship for you and i is to actually embrace our utter, um absolute messiness of our lives and it's the it's, it's, it's and it is that messiness that actually totally disqualifies us from from the kingdom of god like how can i say that like you and I have actually sinned more times than we could ever number. Like we can't even keep track. Like our sin makes us filthy dogs. Like it disqualifies us. It actually affects how we think and how we act. It makes us objects of wrath. Our sin makes us unjustly deserving his displeasure. And Jesus Christ is saying that you and I are dogs. He's saying that I know who you really are. So what do we do with that? Like, what do we do with that? We, you really have to believe in a Jesus that can love you more than you can ever imagine in spite of who you are. You, you have to embrace that reality. He really loves you in spite of who you are. And this is Christianity. You are more loved than you ever dared dreamed. Look at verse 29, he said, for this statement, you may go, go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found her child lying in the bed and the demon gone. And here's what this means. Jesus loves you just as you are. Like, now, he doesn't leave you as you are. Um, why? Because because you, you have God living in you. Um, and the living God living in you is going to change you and shape you. You'll be involved in the process. But God is going to love you just as you are. Remember, Christianity is this. Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, so God accepts you. Like, you are far more loved than you ever dared, dreamed, or hoped for. Let me close by saying this. Like, this woman is saying, yes, Jesus. She's saying, yes, Jesus, my life is a mess. And I'm, I'm not remotely qualified uh, to be talking to you right now. And I'm, I'm a dog in your sight is what she's saying. But I know what you're like, Jesus. She's saying, I know what you are like. And you love dogs. And I know that I can come to you with my life that is an absolute train wreck, that's filthy. And I can come to you and you will love me. That's what she's saying and Jesus looks at she he looks at this woman and says for for this statement you may go your way the demon has left your daughter and she went home and found her daughter found her child lying in the bed the demon gone like this is actually how great and wonderful our Jesus is like this is how wonderful the second person of the trinity is like he he goes to this place and this unclean Gentile dog woman approaches him and he so loves this woman. He says, go home, I have a present for you. Your sweet, precious daughter that you've been bugging me about is asleep in her bed and the demon is gone. Like, man, Jesus delights in showing great mercy to big sinners. He really does. I feel like, I think I've said this before. One of my favorite verses uh, that I feel like I use quite a bit with students on campus is Isaiah 30, 18. That That the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He longs to be gracious to you and he rises to show you compassion. That's what he's like. Jesus is not wanting you to get it, get your life all together. He wants you to bust in just as you are to truly believe that you are far more sinful than you ever dared hoped or imagined but you are far more loved than you ever dared dreamed at the same time like nothing else will change you like nothing else will change you Jesus looks at this woman and is saying you couldn't be more right I love I actually love dogs and I came into this world for sinners not for the righteous I was, I was listening to a podcast on the way over here from another campus minister, uh, and he said this, it struck me, he said, Christian maturity is not uh, you becoming more holy and need less Jesus. Like, Christian maturity is, is that you see more of your sin and you see more of your lack of holiness and that you need more Jesus. Jesus. You realize you need more Jesus every day. You never graduate from hymns like this. Uh, come, ye sinners! I love this old hymn. You don't. You never come to a place where you're like, uh, oh, I never need to sing that song again. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able. He is able. He is willing. Doubt no more come ye needy, come and welcome, God's free bounty glorified. Like, you never graduate from singing those songs. Like, do you see your story in the story? Do you see this this hero, Jesus, who truly loves you and is for you? Look, you you are not good enough and you're not bad enough for Jesus. I love that. Jesus delights in showing his great mercy Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word, for the story that is true. You met this woman, and you loved her. You even gave her a present, the gift of, of healing her child. Father, we thank you for that. Father, we thank you that, that you loved ruined sinners, and you came to reclaim them. Father, we thank you for Christ and the gospel. It's your name we pray, amen.